This episode of The Better Business Show is sponsored by Narrative Matters, creating content that sings for organisations that want to change the world. For more details about how we can help you develop amazing content that really works, check out narrativematters.co.uk. Hello, welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thank you for tuning in. Coming up this week... The companies have had to realise that the destruction of the world's forests is a problem and that you can't simply carry on saying, well, you know, we need to liquidate the forests in order to grow the economy and that's the price of progress. That no longer is a tenable point of view. We're having a chat with the wonderful Tony Juniper, former director of Friends of the Earth, who is now working with one of the world's biggest pulp and paper companies. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back. This is episode five of The Better Business Show. Thanks for being there. This week's show needs much more of an introduction than most uh, to give you some context and backstory to what we're going to be talking about and hearing about this week. This time we're going to be hearing about Asia Pulp and Paper, or APP, as I refer to the company Uh, throughout the show. APP is one of the biggest pulp and paper companies in the world. They're based in Jakarta in Indonesia and via 14 companies dotted across Indonesia and China, the company manufactures about 18 million tonnes of paper products every year and sells them into about 120 countries. So a huge, huge business. If you touch a piece of paper or some packaging today, there's a good chance it originated from one of APP's concessions. Uh, from paper you use in the office to packaging of toys and cosmetics, McDonald's packaging, you name it, it's probably come from APP. So as you can imagine, it's a company that faces numerous environmental challenges given its primary business involves the sourcing of wood and timber from the world's forests. And it's a company that's faced numerous run-ins with the NGO and environmental campaign community over its practices in the last few decades. Greenpeace has been more vocally aggressive than most against APP. Uh, It once labelled the company as the world's worst destroyer of pristine forest and accused it of driving up carbon emissions and pushing tigers and orangutans to the brink. It was back in 2011 and Greenpeace really ramped up its campaign against APP and it targeted the Los Angeles headquarters of the toy company Mattel, a huge buyer of packaging from APP, and it unveiled this huge poster across the front of the building which featured Ken dumping Barbie, which is obviously a toy made by Mattel, with the slogan, Barbie, it's over. I don't date girls that are into deforestation. Obviously picked up widely by the press, Mattel quickly ended its association with APP, as did 130 other big businesses wanting to distance themselves from a company with really close links to deforestation of the Indonesian rainforest. APP had to act, and it did, in an extraordinary turn of events. APP and Greenpeace decided to work together uh, in developing a new forest policy, a new zero deforestation policy. And in early 2013, Greenpeace actually promised it would suspend its active campaigning after three years of fairly aggressive and continuous protest against the business. 
And APP's new forest conservation policy, its uh, FCP as we refer to it, promised an immediate moratorium on any further forest clearance by all of its Indonesian suppliers, as well as a pledge that independent assessments will be conducted to establish areas for protection. It was a huge success and APP's move was described by the environmentalist Tory MP and wannabe London Mayor Zach Goldsmith as the most dramatic turnaround of any global green villain ever seen. And it also kick-started a willingness from APP to be more open and transparent about both the challenges it faces and how well it's actually overcoming them. So now it was in constructive dialogue with Greenpeace rather than kind of cowering under attack. The business invited other NGOs like the Rainforest Alliance to come along and see for themselves how it was doing. And the Rainforest Alliance now independently assesses how well APP is actually meeting its new FCP. So it's been an amazing journey for both the NGO and APP. And yeah, the FCP was hugely important for the business and for forest protection movement. So things have moved on a piece. This is three years ago now. Um, and APP continues to, to impress, frankly. It's got a real focus on how it manages peatland. It's um, initiated a whole new raft of pledges and commitments to, to really protect a number of its supplier concessions. During the, the COP21 UN climate negotiations back in December, the company announced a new integrated forestry and farming system program designed to help communities develop alternative livelihoods to achieve economic development and also incentivize them to, to not chop down trees, uh, giving them equipment, microfinance to help kickstart small businesses. Uh, giving them horticultural training to improve their capacity to kind of, you know, manage fruit and, and vegetable crops using agroforestry techniques. But all of this activity costs money, makes, you know, it takes millions and millions of dollars to protect the rainforest um, and to incentivize farmers not to, to kind of destroy the, the, the rainforest. And it's all well and good a company like APP injecting its own cash to do this stuff, but there's no kind of bottomless pit. And, you know, there is a need for collective and joint effort to really deal with this huge, huge problem. And so the business has taken a lead and it's kick-started a new foundation known as the Bellantara Foundation. And we're going to hear a bit more about it in today's show. But this is a foundation designed to offer funding that can be used to pay for rainforest protection. And APP says that the Bellantara Foundation is going to channel public and private sector finance direct into the local communities that are going to benefit the most from it. And, you know, let's face it, billions of dollars has gone into rainforest conservation around the world. Too little of it has had an impact on the ground. And that's what APP is trying to address with this new foundation. So the company is going to inject its own money initially to, to kind of kickstart things. But then it wants to see others kind of follow suit and start investing their own monies as well. And, and crucially, to make this work, Bellantara has an advisory board to oversee its work and to make sure the money is being spent in, a, in a, an effective and kind of transparent way. And on that board is Tony Juniper. He's the former director of Friends of the Earth, who once upon a time was, a, you know, along with Greenpeace, was a fierce critic of APP. But now he's firmly on the side of the business and he's helping it to implement its ambitious forest 
policies. I caught up with Tony last week to find out what Bellantara is all about and how this finance mechanism is going to help support APP's mission to protect and restore a million hectares of forest in the years ahead. Obviously, we're three years on now, aren't we, from, from the original kind of forest pol- policy. Um, yep. what, what's, what's the latest? Um, so, uh, as you say, three years in, uh, some, some big ambitions being set out in February 2013, which have been largely delivered upon in terms of the uh, protection of remaining natural forests in the APP concession areas, um, attention to peatland, conservation, uh, work to involve communities more in the company's activities. All of these things have seen progress. And I think, you know, recent months, the, the, the big headline step forward is that on top of all of those things that were being put in place three years ago is the new commitment to protect and restore one million hectares of, of tropical rainforest, which is um, a very considerable ambition and, and one that uh, has led to the, the formation of the Bellantara Foundation. So I think you can see the evolution of the FCP into a restoration agenda as well as a protection one, leading in turn to the creation of a new institutional vehicle that can help deliver on that new goal. And, you know, progress continues. And the coming years, I think, will be absolutely fascinating in the sense of, of how this new organization can make a difference not least through being able to facilitate people at landscape level to, to, to get on the same page in terms of how forests can be conserved under you know, complex and difficult circumstances. Mm. And was, was that always the intention to set up this kind of financial mechanism uh, even kind of three years ago that you were sort of working towards or, or is this something is just a kind of natural progression? Um, I think more the latter, and I think once the company had embarked on the forest conservation policy and then was being convinced by different actors to get to go further and to talk about restoration, then at that point, I think the conversation turned to be one that was not only looking at what APP could do on its own land, but what APP could do as a very influential actor in the uh, level of a landscape because if you want to do forest conservation and restoration you, you you can't do it in a way which is ecologically most beneficial if you're just trying to do it on the land that you control and you know very few organizations have enough land to be able to do landscape level uh, planning and so you know that naturally led into so how do we get the NGOs the local government the national government other companies and local communities to want to come with us on this journey and then that led in turn to the idea of a new foundation, which is what's being uh, put in place now with these, with these new structures and with some funding uh, to get the ball rolling from APP. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm personally very excited about it because I, I think it is a genuinely new way of approaching these issues. And, you know, there's been an increasingly strong emphasis on landscape level conservation delivery in the last few years, but very few practical examples of how you might take that idea forward. And so Bellantara is, is entering this space as, you know, a very practical contribution with some resources, with an agenda, with 10 landscapes identified and with a clear target. And hopefully not only will it be able to achieve what it's setting out to do, but in the process also to be demonstrating a new way of doing things. Yeah. So, so how will it work? So the initial kind of cash, 
cash injection is, is from APP. Uh, and then how, yes. what's the, how, does it, how, how will it work? Is, it, is the idea that you go out and try and attract other monies from, from elsewhere? Yes, I, I think um, it's, it's, going, it's, it's going to work at several levels. So, so thing number one will be to facilitate a strategy for each of these 10 landscapes. And so, this, as I say, this will be about involving all the different people there who've got some influence or control over what happens in these areas. And hopefully, you know, through those strategic discussions, identifying, you know, how best it's going to be possible to save the elephant populations, the tiger populations, to reduce the carbon emissions, to improve the livelihoods of the local people, and, you know, what mix of interventions is going to deliver that. And so, you know, that, that's kind of stage one. Uh, stage two is going to be getting people to work together to do that. And then stage three will be hopefully attracting more resources to make it possible to, to do all of these things. Yeah. And, you know, some of that might come from the international donor community. Some of it might come from other companies. And, you know, the, 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 uh, the willingness to participate, I would think, in, in large part will be down to, you know, do, do we see a clear plan? Do we see a, a deliverable plan? Do we see a plan that aligns with our ambitions? And, you know, if the answer to all of the above is yes, then I think the resources will start to flow. Yeah. But I, I think the fundraising, you know, it will be most effective on the back of a convincing plan rather than, than you know, a, a general idea, if you see what I mean. Sure. And, and the ambition, I, I, you know, you start talking about kind of, uh, hectares saved or you know the millions of, of, of acres that are under threat and you, you start thinking about the impact of, of the, the foundation just how significant is it as an ambition if it's kind of benchmarked against a what others are doing or what or, or b kind of what's gone before I, I think it's hugely ambitious i think it's hugely ambitious and if, if you look at the history of, of of what people have tried to do on on forests over 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 the years you know, first of all, it was to, to kind of slow down the amount of damage that was being done. Um, then there was, you know, the idea of, of, of making the damage more sustainable. And on both counts, there's been some progress. But the idea that you would halt the damage and then reverse it by restoring what's been lost or some of what's been lost, I think, I think we're into a new era on all of this. And, you know, APP is not necessarily alone in terms of adopting a zero deforestation policy, uh, but going to the next stage and adopting, you know, a, a, a restoration policy. I think, you know, that we, we are getting into new territory here. Mm. Um, but, but this is not to diminish, you know, the, the, the difficulty of it. This is not a simple thing to do. Um, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of complexity down the road and, and probably some frustration as, you know, people try to, to, to find some uh, common approaches to really quite complicated issues. But I, I think for all of that, we, we have turned a corner. And over the coming years, I, I think this foundation will, will be making, you know, some, some inroads in, into, into territory that so far has been largely unexplored, actually, by companies. You know, setting the ambition and making these kinds of targets is one thing. Putting in place a new vehicle to rally resources and to build consensus around what needs to be done is, is quite another. It's, it's a very exciting moment uh, to me. Yeah. And, been involved for years. Uh, and this, this notion of injecting money in, into kind of protecting rainforests is, is not new, is it? And, and over the years, you know, a lot's been spent on, on doing this, and, and yet we, it doesn't seem to be too much difference made. I mean, is the difference here that it's about building a kind of a, a network and a partnership approach to this? That, that, that is the key thing. I mean, you know, all, all of these things require 
some funding from somewhere, or at least an economic model that, that makes it rational to, to change behavior. Um, but that is very much, for me, as, as a member of the advisory panel, the advisory board of Bellantara, is, is the big opportunity, is to be able to have this additional capacity to facilitate consensus at the level of a landscape. And so that consensus is between local government, national government, between companies, NGOs, local communities, technical and scientific bodies, the international donor community. If you could get all of those people onto roughly the same page at the level of a, of a river catchment or a peatland landscape, and to say, you know, this is our broad approach to not only saving the forest that's left, but to restoring a large amount of what's gone at the same time as increasing people's incomes, at the same time as improving food security, at the same time as delivering economic growth, that would be an incredibly powerful step upward uh, that hopefully, you know, on its own would be influential, but also, you know, could be, could be a draw for new resources to be able to, to do things more quickly. But you're right in saying, I think, that, you know, the, the, the money is one thing, but the, the, the finding of common purpose amongst these disparate groups is another and potentially more powerful contribution. Sure. Is this the first time that you personally have been involved with, with APP? No, I've been advising them for um, a couple of years and uh, was inspired to come in on the back of the forest conservation policy. And, uh, you know, I, I don't come to this as um, somebody who, who didn't know about the, the firm before. I was, in fact, one of its original critics at the time I was running Friends of the Earth uh, back in the 90s and 2000s. And, um, was a campaigner uh, trying to shift the company. And so, you know, had some knowledge of, of their activities from the outside. But the forest conservation policy inspired me to come and assist them because it, it was a significant break with the past. And, you know, the, the fact that we've gone from that to where we are now and beyond not destroying anymore and into a position where the ambition is to restore a lot of what's gone, I think, you know, that that, that, was, um, that was a worthwhile... Uh, judgment on my part uh, as somebody you know who, who is principally interested in forest conservation above and beyond you know the paper pulp and timber industry yeah and th this notion of kind of big business working more closely with NGOs to kind of you know work together uh, for, for kind of common interests is that something that was do you think initiated by the corporate world or, or is it a, a position that the NGO world got to and thought actually that's probably our best way of, of affecting change I think it's both, and, and, and I, I think it is really, you know, it, it literally is a, a, a three-decade-long process of people, you know, coming to see each other's point of view. And so the companies have had to realize that the destruction of the world's forests is a problem and that you can't simply carry on saying, well, you know, we need to liquidate the forests in order to grow the economy, and that's the price of progress. That no longer is a tenable point of view. And for the NGOs, it's no longer tenable to say that big business is evil and has no place at the table of conservation. And, you know, both camps have had to adjust their positions and find an accommodation, which is now beginning to bear fruit. And, you know, it, it isn't all sweetness and roses in the sense of everybody now agrees about everything. It's not like that. But what we do have is a dialogue and hopefully some foundations for some collaboration that, that can take us in, in a positive direction recognizing that you know you, you will always have you know a need for people to be putting on the pressure 
and also you know a, a need for people in the business world to be thinking about new business models, new ways of, of engaging their supply chains and all the things that are necessary to make this happen. Um, so it's not as if we've reached the end of the discussion on this, very far from it, but you know, hopefully we, we've reached a, a place where people are beginning to see other people's points of view and as a result of that to be able to do things uh, more constructively together. Yeah. And, and how do you kind of assess the kind of the business risk for APP? Of course, there's the, the, there's the whole reputation you know, challenge, uh, which obviously you've been on the, the other side of. But what's the kind of business risk? What are the, the sort of drivers for, for APP to, uh, A, take this as seriously as it is, and B, you know, inject a lot of money into it? Yes. So, so what are the risk drivers, do you mean, Tom, in the sense of why are they doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so one, one obvious risk, and, you know, other companies and other sectors have found this, is that, you know, if you want to have... Um, good relationships with your market in the modern world, you, you can't ignore sustainability as one of the things that people increasingly care about. And that's like, you know, a business to consume, a business to business, business to government kind of a, a dynamic. And everybody's realizing that, you know, the, the world is changing around them. And if you don't have a good story on sustainability, you know, relationships are at risk and people may stop buying your stuff or they may regulate around you in a way that's going to make life difficult. So you've, you've got to deal with it from the point of view of, of, of you know, how you do business. Um, from the point of view of APP and some other companies in, in natural resources, especially those dependent on water and soil and stable climate, is you know that, that there's an increasingly serious set of physical risks. And for APP, these are seen in the form of fire. You know, the climate is changing, and there are, as a result of that, you know, the, 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 the possibilities for a big bit of your product going up in smoke. And so, you know, to deal with that, you need sustainable land management around where you're operating, including the control of fire, which also happens to be one of the reasons why the natural forest is disappearing. So you find a convergence of, of interest there in terms of sustainability and physical risk becoming the same thing in terms of why you might want to do stuff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and as I say, and this is not unique to, to them. It's kind of companies in multiple sectors beginning to realize that sustainability isn't simply an ethical agenda. It is that, but it's not only that. And there's got embedded within it a set of risks that, you know, are really quite potent. Mm. Uh, and, and what did you make of, uh, of what happened in, in Paris at the end of last year, COP21? Uh, obviously, lots, yeah. lots spoken about it as being a success, but I wonder... How do you kind of assess it from a kind of policy point of view as, as giving the foundations to, to support this type of, you know, forest restoration protection work? Yes. Well, I, 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 I'm one of those who thinks it was an enormous success. And I say that from somebody who was lobbying that process before the Rio summit. Um, so before the climate convention was even agreed in, in 1990, I was there making the case for a global accord on, on CO2 and greenhouse gases. And have followed it ever since and you know it's remarkable that since the 92 summit you know it, it took 23 years to Paris to come to some agreement that involved everybody and actually has got you know the, the potential to, to you know begin to turn the corner it, it's not the total answer and everyone who looks at those um, INDCs and those national commitments can see that you know that's not a two degree pathway and it certainly isn't the 1.5 degree pathway so, you know, there's going to be a lot more needed to be able to deliver. But the fact that we've got that broad agreement, the fact that we've got most countries saying they're going to do something, the fact that we've got a five-year review process, and most importantly of all, the fact that we've got all the solutions already, if only we can implement them, 
I think, you know, give this half a decade, and once countries start to realise that this isn't about economic sacrifice, it's not about loss of jobs, it's not about damage to competitiveness, but it's in fact the opposite to all of that if you do it the right way, then I think, you know, we, we begin to accelerate into a low-carbon future quite quickly, and ending deforestation and conserving peatlands is a very big bit of it. And, you know, APP putting itself in the position of being a company of the future um, ahead of that transition curve really going very steeply upward, you know, is a very sensible place to be. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think the Paris um, Treaty, will look back on that in 15 years' time and we'll say that, you know, that was a critical signal. Um, you know, it's not the whole answer, but it's, it's pointing in a different direction. And I, I think as a result of, you know, pointing in a different direction, we're going to see, you know, societies um, changing quite, quite quickly. Investment patterns, technology choices, policies, um, and all of that adding up uh, to something increasingly driven by public opinion. So, um, yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think we're kind of into the change period now. Sure. And, and does it make the success of what the, the, the Bellantara Foundation is trying to do that much more likely because of that foundation, do you think? Yes, I, do. Yes, I, I think so. Because, you know, if, if, if you kind of um, see the Bellantara model as, you know, it's not only a funding vehicle, it is about building consensus and multi-stakeholder dialogue. And, you know, what I just described in terms of that transition being multi-layered, mm. it's public opinion, it's the private sector, it's the NGOs, it's the government then, it, it, you know, it's facilitating in exactly that space. And so, um, hopefully, you know, it gets some superchargers put on it by what happened in Paris and, and you know, goes further than it otherwise might have done. Yeah. So, so the foundation is kind of open for business right now. What, what, what are the kind of, you know, immediate priorities for this year? So, the, the, the immediate priority, as I see it, and it, it, we, we've got some work to do still, not least in terms of, of getting the team hired and, and getting the, the, everybody in place in the office to be able to do all of this. But the, the first thing is going to be, in my eyes, to, to, to get some more detailed strategies at the level of the 10 individual landscapes. And so that's going to be about engaging with people who've got influence and control in those places and beginning to build uh, the foundations of some, some common plans and strategies. And then once we've got that, then, you know, the practical side of it becomes, becomes all the more likely and possible to do. Yeah. And what else are you up to at the moment, then, as, as on, on top of this stuff? Um, so, so in addition to, to helping with this, I am doing a lot of writing and speaking um, about all of these questions. I have a new book called What is, what is Really Happening to Our Planet. That's coming out in the summer. That's just okay. gone to the printers. Um, I'm helping with a program at the University of Cambridge, um, Sustainability Leadership Institute, um, I'm uh, doing a little bit of um, work with some other companies uh, through uh, my consultancy group, Roberts Bridge, and helping various NGOs, um, aside from Palantara, um, through being a board member and advisor. So all the same thing, really. It's all environmental sustainability, um, yeah. some of it quite kind of academic, some of it more private sector, some of it NGO. Yeah. And, and you must, you must obviously what happened in December, and you must look at things now and, and look back, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago and think, wow, we, we, we've a, a much farther down the path now. Yes, I, I, I do think so. And I, kind of increasingly I look at it as, um, you know, the, 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 the argument as having been won now largely, but the solutions not necessarily being won. And so, you know, I think most people who, you know, can pay attention to, to the basics, they can see we've got a major problem in, in the sense of rising population, 
increasing economic growth and demand, uh, rising uh, pressure on, on natural systems. And so, you know, that bit of it, I, I think, is largely now a consensus, and Paris is an example of that. But what we've not yet got is, is agreement around what are going to be the best solutions. You know, what contribution for renewables versus natural gas, uh, you know, what kind of land use policies, what role for subsidies, what's the role for government compared with the private sector, what's the, uh, you know, the balance of effort between individual consumers compared with companies, all of that stuff we're still kind of sorting out. But I think we are into a new era, and it's taken a hell of a long time to get here, but, you know, the pendulum has swung the other way, I think it's fair to say. Um, you know, the big issue is, is whether we've left it all too late, really, on the climate issue in particular. Tony Juniper there. Uh, always great to hear from people like Tony, who's been uh, doing this stuff for, for decades now. And you can, chill, you, know, you can really tell that he's truly excited about APP and, and what it's doing to turn things around and how it's worked with NGOs and campaign groups rather than against them to actually achieve that fascinating story. Obviously, lots more for APP to be doing, but some great progress. And of course, a slight departure for us this week. We spent the first four episodes of The Better Business Show looking at the startups and the entrepreneurs. This week, we've looked at a big business, but I am equally fascinated, and I hope you are too, at looking at some of those legacy businesses who are trying to turn things around. Um, so we'll continue to do that. As ever, we have show notes online at betterbusiness.show. So head over there for more background on the APP story and all the links to all the references in today's show. Uh, I really hope you're enjoying the Better Business Show. Thanks so much to all of you that have been in touch to say hello or to tell me about your business that you want to feature on the show. It's brilliant. It's fantastic that we've that we've got such a, a rapidly growing community of listeners out there. I'm really delighted. So thank you. If you, if you have an iTunes account, please go straight over there now and leave a review and a rating of the show. And it really does make a difference to our ability to remain on the front page of the iTunes podcast store for business podcasts, uh, which makes all the difference in, in ramping up this community. And of course, if you want to get in touch, just email me, tomidle at narrativematters.co.uk. And you can find me on Twitter at tomidle. So please do follow and get in touch. Thanks again for tuning in. We're back on Monday. Uh, the best way not to miss an episode is, of course, to subscribe to The Better Business Show via iTunes. So please do that now. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs>